0: All right, so we have been journeying through the Sermon on the Mount. Today's title of the sermon is Entering the Kingdom. uh, If you want to turn your Bibles there, it's Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 29. A little caveat, disclaimer, before we get started. You know, I like to give those. Uh, The software that I use to prepare my sermons and create my slides and presentation and all that stuff has just upgraded from Logos 8 to Logos 9. A uh, lot of new improvements. One thing it uh, changed was it does not tell me how long my sermon is going to be, which I really use, I really, really use that to try to guide uh, my sermon. So today uh, it's just in the air. I have n- no idea how long this is going to take. So I'm going to go ahead and give you a warning. I will try to keep an eye on the time. If at some point near time. I uh, sounds like I just kind of wrap things up and it, and I leave a lot of questions unanswered. We'll just pick those up next week. Is that a fair deal? <laughs> All right. So, um I've got a feeling I have more here than I can cover in this in this time frame. I do have a feeling. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. All right. But yes, I do have a feeling, even though it didn't give me a time frame, I do have a feeling this is uh, quite a long sermon. So I will try my best to uh, see if I can find a good stopping point, And then we will. That, that just leaves you on the hook and it makes you look forward to next week even more. So, uh, All right. Entering the kingdom. So let's read it real quick. Let's start off. Matthew, uh, well, let me, let me back up and give you an idea of who Jesus is talking to here. Um, if we look back at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 4, verses 25 through 5-2, we read, Large crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying... And then Jesus started the Sermon on the Mount, which we've been going through for quite a while. But I wanted to back up and just give you a context of who Jesus is talking to. Jesus is talking to a large crowd of people, a large crowd of people who have come to listen to him because they heard from all around that he's healing people of all kinds of diseases. Any disease, any sickness, anything going on, you can go to this, this guy, Jesus, and you can get healed. And he is performing all kinds of miracles and healings. And people are flocking to him. And they're not just flocking to him, f- not just Jewish people. We're talking Jews and Gentiles. We've got a whole range of people who have flocked to him. And he has a large crowd of people who has come together uh, for whatever reasons they've come, most of them for reasons to be healed but he's got a large, large crowd that he's talking to. So, I want you to ask yourself, if you had managed to gather a large crowd of mostly lost people because you were giving away, I don't know, you, you, you probably aren't a magical healer, but let's say you have a COVID vaccine. That's, you know, let's say you have something that, that's what everybody wants right now. You've got the vaccine. You tell everybody you've got it. Are you going to draw a large crowds of people? Yeah. Well, I mean, if it's legit. Uh, let's just, this is pretend. This is a pretend story. Let's just, you're going to draw large crowds of people. There are going to be all kinds of people. There are going to be church people. There's going to be non-church people. You can safely assume that if you draw large crowds of people who want to be healed by you or, or prevented from getting sick by you, then uh, you're going to have a lot of lost people. So imagine yourself in that position. Now, if you were going to teach them how to be saved, since you have a captive audience and they've all come to you and you just have them held there, if you're going to teach them how to be saved, don't answer out loud, please, but just think, what would you say? Imagine how you would address this crowd and how you would tell them in your mind, how would you tell them that they can be saved? It's important to actually think at least a couple sentences before we go forward. Now let me ask you these questions. This is not what you thought, but let me just ask you, if you had time to teach them how to be saved, would you at some point... Would you tell them that it's easy to get to heaven or that it's difficult to get to heaven? Don't answer out loud. Matter of fact, I'll just go ahead and tell you for the rest of this sermon, do not answer out loud. In your mind, would you tell them it's easy to get get to heaven or difficult to get to heaven? Would you say or think that most people will go to hell and it's hard to get to heaven? And only a few will make it into heaven? Would you tell them that you'll be able to tell if people are going to heaven or hell by the way they live? Would you make that statement? I can tell if people are going to go to heaven or hell by the lifestyle they live? Well, I'm going to tell you it really doesn't matter what you or I or any other person would say to that crowd about how to be saved. What matters is what Jesus actually said to the crowd that he had that had gathered to him. In that same situation, and I would say that whatever he told lost and dying people so that they could be saved is exactly what we need to tell lost and dying people so that they can be saved. But we also need to tell them the way he told them. And that is where I think many of us have our problem with this. So let's look. Matthew 7, 13 and 14. This is Jesus has already preached the entire sermon on the mount. He's starting to wrap it up. And he tells them, he says, Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. So Jesus said, be saved, enter through the narrow gate, go to heaven, do whatever you got to do to get to heaven, because the road that leads to hell is wide. The gate is wide and the road is broad, and many people will go to hell, is what Jesus told them. And then he said, how narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. So he said the gate into heaven is narrow and the road to get there is difficult and few will find that gate. So Jesus told the large crowd most people will go to hell. Only a few will find the gate into heaven and it's a difficult road to get there. Do you believe that's true? Like I said for the rest of the sermon don't answer any of these out loud. But Ask yourself honestly, do you believe that's true? Do you believe that most people will go to hell? And in comparison, only a few will go to heaven. Do you believe that it's difficult to get to heaven? Do you believe that? If you don't, why? It's important to ask yourself as a follower of Christ, if you don't believe that what he said is true. You need to ask yourself. You need to ask yourself. Why don't you believe it? I don't believe any one of us in this room. Would actually say out loud. That we don't believe Jesus was right. I, I, I haven't had that conversation. With a church member yet. I, I just don't think any of us growing up in church. Would actually say out loud. Jesus was wrong. And I don't believe that what he said was true. But you have to be honest with yourself. Do you believe the statement he made is true or not? And if you don't, you have to ask yourself, why do I not believe it when Jesus said it? Why do I not believe it? I will say, you need to ask yourself, because your relationship with Jesus is not going to be a very healthy relationship If you don't believe him, now let's say you believe almost everything else he said, but there are only a couple things he said that you really don't believe, at the very least, that will cause you great angst and internal conflict. Let's say you believe everything else Jesus taught, you just don't believe that most people are going to go to hell and that it's actually difficult to get to heaven. Let's say you just don't believe that one thing that he taught. At the least, that's going to cause you a lot of internal conflict. Especially if the only couple things that you don't believe are in fact his teachings about salvation. Those are the most important teachings he gives us. How to be saved. How not to be saved. And if you don't believe what he taught, you're not going to turn around and share the same thing with others. If you don't believe it, you're not going to tell anybody that. And that's why I asked you to take a moment at the beginning to think, what would you say? Because most of us, if having a large crowd of people and we want to share with them how to be saved, most of us would go and preach for an hour, two hours, as long as you want, and probably never in there ever say what Jesus actually said to those crowds. We would not tell them that most people are going to go to hell. We would not say that. We would not tell them that it's difficult to get to heaven, and so you must try very hard to make sure you enter that narrow gate. We'd say it's easy to get to heaven. We would say the opposite of what Jesus taught. And my question is, why? You have to ask yourself, why? Why is it my natural instinct to teach the opposite of what Jesus taught? Why? If we go around telling people that it's easy to get to heaven when it's not, then we set them up for failure. We do. When we go around telling people it's easy to get to heaven when it's not, we're giving them the exact opposite message that Jesus gave them. Jesus said the road that leads to life is difficult. It's not easy. And it is the very fact that the road is difficult that few will find the gate at the end of it. That is the very fact as to why so few get to that gate. Because the road is difficult. Now knowing that, what is the best way to help someone make it to the end of that road so that they can enter that gate? Is it by telling them that the road will be easy? Or is it by telling them that the road will be difficult? If there is a difficult road that we have to walk to get to the gate of life, which one sets them up for success? Telling them that the road will be easy or telling them that the road will be difficult? If you have, imagine, imagine this. I know it's all a metaphor, but Jesus used a metaphor, so that's okay. Imagine there is a road and it splits. Or no, no let's just imagine the road going to heaven. Alright, so at the end, of there's a long road. It's very difficult to walk. At the end of it is a narrow gate that leads to heaven. That's the example Jesus gave. That's the example we're going to use. Imagine two people standing at the beginning of that road. One person over here has above their head a big sign that says, Easy Path. And the person beside them, same road, the person beside them has a sign that says, Difficult Road Ahead. Now, People get to this road. They have to choose. Are they going to line up in front of the guy that says difficult road ahead or are they going to line up in front of the guy that says easy path? Whose line do you think is going to be bigger? The easy path line. It's the same today. When you think about pastors and you think about churches, in general, not specific, not specific churches, but in general, it's the same path. It's the same way. Those who preach that this life is easy and it doesn't cost you anything, lots of people line up in front of that, that person. The person that says, nope, it's going to be very difficult, doesn't get a lot of people line up in front of that person. But of those two lines, the long line in front of the person saying the road's going to be easy and the short line in front of the person that says the road's going to be difficult, what percentage of those people do you think is going to make it to the gate at the end? The person who's got the long line who's saying this is going to be easy, how many, what percentage of those people do you think, once they get on that road and it's really, really difficult, how many of them do you think is going to stay on that road till they get to the narrow gate at the end? Most of them are going to bail. And that's what we see today. That's what we've been seeing for decades. It's nothing new. It's what we've been seeing for centuries. This is not American. This is not new that people say, This is going to be an easy path. And then people try it, and it's not, and they bail. But then if you had the other guy that didn't get the big line, but he still was very honest with the people and said, hey, this road's going to be very, very difficult. But the prize at the end, what you're going to enter through that gate is worth the difficulty. There's going to be a much higher percentage of those people actually stick through the toughness of that road and make it to the end. Not all of them, because you can be honest with people, and they can try and still say, I'm not, this is not for me, I'm not going to do this. But a much greater percentage of those where you are honest with them and not only told them that it was going to be difficult, but you told them that it's worth the difficulty, it's worth getting to the end. They're going to stick with it. But if you lie to them up front and say it's going to be easy, and if life isn't easy, it's really your fault because you just don't have enough faith. If you tell them that, they're not going to make it to the end of the road. Now, I know that's just a metaphor, and analogy, and you can say, well, that's not really how it works, but that's the metaphor that Jesus used, so that's the one I wanted to, to stick with there. But do you see how what we say to a person about the road they must travel because we can't travel it for them. Can we all agree to that? I can't travel your faith journey for you. But what we say to people at the beginning of their journey about the road they have to travel will have a humongous impact on whether or not they continue down that road or they give up or they're disillusioned or they become angry or they become upset because this is not what they were told. Jesus had a large crowd following him and listening to him. And he told them the truth. He told them that it's not easy to get to heaven, and few actually will. That's not what they wanted to hear. It's no different than today. Today, that's not what people want to hear. But in Jesus' day, the large crowd that came to him, that's not what they wanted to hear either. That's not what anybody ever wants to hear. Let's look at Luke real quick. Somebody asked Jesus point blank if only a few people are going to be saved. And this is how he responded. Luke 13, 22 to 30. He went through one town and village after another, teaching and making his way to Jerusalem. Lord, someone asked him, are only a few people going to be saved? Now, you ask yourself, why did he ask this question? He probably asked this question because Jesus was honest about the difficulty of becoming saved. And at that point, he realized in his mind, uh, well, I'm looking around, and that doesn't seem to describe most people. Like what you're saying, that God's law, that we, you know, if we sin, that we're in trouble, and we're going to be judged, and we're going to be found guilty. I'm looking around, and uh, we're all guilty. We're all guilty. So he asks, are only a few people going to be saved? And this is how Jesus responded. He said, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because I tell you, many will try to enter and won't be able once the homeowner gets up and shuts the door. What does that mean? It means when you die. Once you die, you don't get another chance. You have to make the decision now. Because once the homeowner shuts the door and your life is over, at that point, many people are going to want to enter, but they won't be able. Then you will stand outside and knock on the door, saying, Lord, open up for us. He will answer you. I don't know you or where you're from. Then you will say, we ate and drank in your presence. And you taught in our streets, but he will say, I tell you, I don't know you or where you're from. Get away from me, all you. Do you see this? Evil doers. What does that describe? Those who don't repent, those who don't repent of sin those who continue to do evil. He said, There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth in that place when you see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but yourselves thrown out. They will come from east and west, from north and south, to share the banquet in the kingdom of God. Note this, some who are last will be first, and some who are first will be last. He was literally telling the Jewish people just because you are a bloodline in the bloodline of Abraham does not mean you will be in the kingdom with Abraham. But those who are outside of the kingdom, those lost sinner Gentiles that you call, many of them will be. And he's trying to wake them up. But you see what he does. He doesn't avoid mentioning hell. He doesn't avoid saying hell. How many of us, don't answer out loud, But how many of us, that is our default. We are terrified to use the word hell around lost people when telling them about God. Like, it makes us cringe, we don't want to do it, it makes our stomachs turn, and we're like, I don't want to talk about hell. I just want to tell you how much God loves you, and I just want to tell you how good he is, and how you need to give your life to him. I don't want to talk about hell, I don't want to talk about punishment, I don't want to talk about any of that stuff. Jesus never shies away from talking about hell. He actually is much more vivid than any of us are. He says, let's see, he said there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth in that place. When's the last time you've had a conversation with somebody that you wanted to be saved that is lost and you said, by the way, if you go to hell, you will be weeping and gnashing your teeth. It is a place of eternal torment and you will be in a." awful awful place we don't do that do we but you see how Jesus wasn't afraid to do that Jesus was not afraid to mention hell Jesus was not afraid to describe how awful hell is he wasn't afraid to say this and so we have to ask ourselves one why are we afraid and two how can we not be afraid but let me just stop right here and I don't know where it is in my sermon at some point in my sermon I'm going to talk about this but let me just say it now There's a big, big difference between somebody who tells someone about hell like Jesus did and someone who tells someone about hell like all the other people that you can probably think of that you've seen talk about hell. Because the people who want to talk to somebody in a loving manner, they usually avoid hell in our country in our day and age. When people talk about the love of Jesus, they usually avoid mentioning hell. So the people that you hear actually telling people about hell are usually the people who don't do it lovingly. Jesus did it lovingly. That's why we read that he ate and dined with tax collectors and sinners, and they actually gave their life and repented of their sin. Now, I've seen firsthand many times in multiple occasions, I've seen firsthand people tell people that they're going to go to hell in a non-loving way. I I think I've used this example before. Uh, Back when I was, I think I was a student at Gordon at the time, I went up to UGA to a football game. Go dogs! So anyways, I went up to UGA for a football game And before you entered in the stadium, they have this street outside the stadium. There were people who had like 20-foot poles with big signs wearing a megaphone around. And it was talking about how homosexuals and all these, you know, adulterers and drunkards and everybody's going to hell. And they got the signs and they're talking about, "You're you're going to hell, you're going to hell, you're going to hell, you're going to hell. Repent because you're going to go to hell. And God's angry with you and you need to repent. And it really bothered me the way they were doing this, as it would any of you. It bothers everybody the way they do this. It really bothered me because, one, it was plainly obvious they had no love in their heart for these people. And you say, well, they had to, you know, some people could say they had to have had love, otherwise they wouldn't have taken the time to get out there and do it. No, 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 no. let me tell you something. You know how you can tell if somebody has love for their heart for somebody when they're telling them that they're going to go to hell? They're brokenhearted over the people that are going to hell. There's your key. If you're telling someone they're going to hell and it doesn't break your heart that they're going to hell, you don't have love in your heart for them. And so I I went up to one of the guys who was about my age and he didn't have the sign he didn't have the megaphone, but he was with the group. It was their church. And I went up to the guy who was about my age and I asked him, I said, you know, where are you from? What's your story? Uh, And he told me the church they were from and he said, you know, we come out here because we're doing what God's told us to do, that we need to stand and preach from the rooftops, that people are in danger of going to hell and and that if we get out here and we preach it to them, you know, that people can repent and be saved. Now, this guy was my age, and he hadn't been going to the church very long. I, I don't remember. I, I want to say it was two or three years he'd been in the church. But, but anyways, he was genuinely convinced this is exactly what God wanted him to do. And apparently, this is how God wanted him to do it. And so I just asked him a simple question. I said, well, look, I believe in God. I believe, I believe that what he said is true, all this stuff. Let me ask you a question how many times have have y'all been doing this? And he said, for however many years they've been doing it. I said, have you ever seen a single person saved? He said, no. Not one. I said, let me tell you something. I said, I'm from such and such town. I said, you know, I got saved at a youth evangelism conference. You ever heard one of those? He's like, no. I said, it's a Macon Coliseum. Fill it up with thousands of kids, youth groups, bring them there, share the gospel with them, tell them the truth, share the gospel with them. I said, and I've seen hundreds and hundreds of people respond in one day. And so my point is this. Jesus told people they were going to go to hell. Jesus told them how awful hell was. He said, it's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He said, it's a place of eternal torment. Jesus didn't avoid saying any of these things. But we read that the same sinners that he was talking to, all of us, but in the scriptures, the same sinners he was talking to, they invited him into their home and they repented and said, I'm giving back. Anybody I've wronged, I'm giving money back. Anybody I've cheated, I'm giving money back. I'm going to change my life. Nobody was inviting these people at the UGA street. Nobody was inviting them into their homes and I can't repeat in here what they were telling them where to go and what to do. It was ugly. Ugly. How can Jesus talk about hell? How can Jesus tell the truth and be invited in by the very sinners he's talking to? Be welcomed. Because when Jesus did it, he did it brokenheartedly from a heart of love And that came across clearly to the people he was speaking to. And I'm telling you, when you talk to somebody about heaven and hell, it will come across clearly exactly how you feel about that person. It will. If you don't care about that person, it's going to come across. And if you truly do, it's going to come across. Because you can't help it. You can't help it. Now, you can be as brokenhearted and as loving to someone as you want, You could share the truth that heaven is real, hell is real, that we are sinners, and that we're going to go to hell if we don't repent and believe and place our faith in Jesus Christ. You can be as sincere about it, and they can still become angry and hate you for it. You don't have control over that. Because the message itself is something that none of us like. None of us. Every person in this room who has accepted this message and embraced this message and has come to love the fact that Jesus came to die for us all of us at one point or another, when we first heard this message, didn't like it. We didn't like it. We didn't like the idea that we were in trouble. We didn't like the idea that God was angry with us. We didn't like the idea that we were separated from God because of our sin. We didn't like it. Nobody likes it. But it's true. And there's lots of people like me in this country and in this world that I, don't, I would rather have truth whether I like it or not. Please don't lie to me. Please tell me the truth. If I go to a field, and I, I believe you would all agree with me on this, if, I, if I'm walking and I come to a field, and that, let's say it's a desert, desert land area, and somebody has placed stepping stones from one side to the other side. Now, my goal is I'm planning on going to the other side of this open area, and there's a little pathway that goes across from one side to the other, but the pathway is real crooked. It's not straight. Well, I have two options. I can walk the path, or I can just walk across the dirt. What am I going to do? I'm probably just going to walk across the dirt. I'm not going to waste time walking on an uneven, crooked path. If, if there's no trees, nothing in my way, I'm just going to walk straight across. But if that place is an abandoned landmine field, I want to know. I want to know that somebody went out there with metal detectors and placed a safe path, even if it's crooked and crazy, I want to know that they went through and found a a safe traveling path and placed stepping stones that you could walk across. And if you stay on that path, you won't blow yourself up. But if you get off that path, you run the risk of of blowing yourself up. I'd like to know. Will I like the idea of hearing that if I step off the path, I'll blow myself up? Not Not a good feeling. Doesn't make me happy. Don't like to hear that I might kill myself by walking off the path, but I want to know. Why? Because my life's at stake. I would be angry for you for not telling me. Very angry. But yet when we take physical death, everybody agrees. When we take spiritual death, then everybody doesn't agree. Then people really do get angry for you, telling, for you telling them that they're going to die if they don't get on the straight and narrow path that, ends, that starts with Jesus and ends with Jesus. Then they get angry. Why? Because many of them don't believe that God's real. They don't believe that they're going to step on a landmine. They don't believe that they're going to die. And you can't control that. You can't help that. You have no control over that. But if you love them, you have to tell them. Jesus loved them. He had to tell them. If we love them, we have to tell them. Because if you don't tell them the truth, if you don't tell them about hell, if you don't tell them that, there's a, that it's a difficult road to get to a narrow gate that most people won't go through, if you don't tell them, how can they get there? How can they walk that path? How can they make it to life? And if you truly love them, If you truly love them, and this is not easy, nothing I'm saying is easy, but it's true. If you truly love them, you will be willing to end your relationship with them. Knowing if I tell them the truth, they will never talk to me again. If you truly love them, you will be willing to do that. I'm going to tell you the truth because it's your only hope of salvation even if you never talk to me again. And if that's a burden on your heart that you really don't want that person to abandon your relation, their relationship with you, if you really do care about that person, when you tell them, that's going to come across. Does it mean that they'll forgive you? Not, it doesn't mean that. You can't control how people react. But they'll know that you did it from a heart of love because it'll come across in your voice. It'll come across in your, in your compassion for that person. And if you don't care, and you just tell them nonchalantly because you really don't care, that's going to come across too. And that's what we've seen too much of. That's what has driven us to this. That's why, you know, I give out track, I give out gospel tracks that talk about a terrible place called hell on the back of the gospel track, that you're going to go to a terrible place called hell. Do you know how many people, Christians, not just lost people, Christians, who say you should not give those tracks out because that's just going to push people away they don't need to hear about that they just need to hear about how much God loves them they don't need to hear about the stuff that's going to push them away I'm sorry but I love them too much to not tell them they're going to die I love them too much no nobody likes reading them tracks Hey, you're going to go to a terrible place called hell. Woo! Nobody does that. Nobody. Nobody likes to hear it. But it's only through the truth that people can then say, I'm in trouble. And you know what? It's right. I am a sinner. I don't feel connected to God. We have to tell them the truth, but we have to do it in love. All right, so let's jump back real quick. So Matthew seven thirteen through 14, he says, Enter through the narrow gate. I don't have a timer. Huh. All right. Uh, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who goes through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. And then he goes on to say be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravaging wolves you'll recognize them by their fruit are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles in the same way every good tree produces good fruit but a bad tree produces bad fruit a good tree can't produce bad fruit neither can a bad tree produce good fruit every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire so you'll recognize them by their fruit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you lawbreakers. And so I'm going to wrap up here. I, th- I think this is going to be a good place to end it this week. And then we'll pick back up next week and we'll talk about this. But I'm going I'm to let you know what we're going to talk about next week. Okay? He said here, he said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, not everyone who calls Jesus their Lord is saved. Not everyone who says, Jesus is my Lord. They're not all going to enter the kingdom. And then when they say, didn't we drive out demons in your name, prophesy in your name, do many miracles in your name, what he says is, it doesn't matter what miracles they do. Miracles don't matter. He said, I never knew." I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers, those who commit sin live in sin so this is what he says saying jesus is your lord does not save you miracles is not a sign that you are saved but how you live if you live in sin or don't that is a sign of whether or not you're saved and that's why we have this statement a Paul said this in Galatians 2.16. He said, A person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. Now, the works of the law, that's following the law, the Mosaic law, right? Could Paul have been any more clear? No one is justified by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one can be justified. You cannot be saved by obeying the law, by living a good life. You cannot be saved by living a good life. Could that be any more clear? I don't think so. But then James says in James 2.24, a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Some people struggle with this. Some people say, well, that's a contradiction. Paul says, a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. James says, a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Is that a contradiction? No. You say, how is it not a contradiction? You have to wait till next week but it's not and i'll just i'll just say this context is key if i say the speed limit 65 you say the speed limit's 45 that seems at face value to be a complete contradiction but if we're standing beside different streets we're both telling the truth context is key to understanding what was paul saying what was james saying We're going to talk about this relationship between faith and works next week. But I just wanted you to see that Jesus brings up how to be saved. And he talks about how to be saved. And he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter that narrow gate into the kingdom. Only the one who does the will of my father. Jesus says, only those who actually obey his words, who actually obey and do the the works of God, only they will enter the kingdom of God but yet they're not saved by their works. And we're going to explain why that is and how that is next week. Because if we preach any other gospel at the beginning of that narrow road, that difficult road that leads to a narrow gate, if we preach any other message than what Jesus and Paul and James and everyone else teaches, we will set people up for failure. We will make them believe that they're saved when they're not, or we will set them up to think this is easy when it's not. And people will walk away, they'll be disillusioned, they'll think God is mean, they'll think God is cruel, they'll think God is wrong, and they'll walk away from the faith. And we don't want to see that happen. Jesus didn't want to see it happen, we don't want to see it happen. So we're going to talk about that next week. But takeaway from this week, Jesus was not afraid to talk about hell to people so that they could be saved because he did it from a heart of love we can't be afraid to do the same. We can't be afraid to talk about hell, but we must do it from a heart of love. We have to. It's their only hope of salvation. Let's pray together. Father, this is not happy-go-lucky. These are not happy topics. These are not topics that make us feel good. These are not topics that, that really just boost us up and encourage us, but, but it's topics that you felt the need to address to a lost and dying people. And so, Father, we, can, we, have to, we, we have to hold on to it just the same. We have to understand that we live in a world where we were lost and dying, and we still live in a world that is lost and dying, but that you have offered us the most amazing gift of life, that you have offered us eternal salvation, you, yourself, a relationship with you forever, because you yourself came to this earth and died in our place so that we could be forgiven. Father, you do not want us to perish, but that you want all to come to repentance. And so, Father, we are thankful that you love us so much. We're also thankful that when you came and told us the truth, that when you told us that we were in trouble, that you told us that we were, we were going to hell, but that you told us that there was a way that we could be saved and go to heaven with you forever. You told us from a heart of love. And the scripture says, Romans 5 eight that you proved your own love for us, and that while we were still sinners and lost, you died for us. And Father, we cannot ever for our entire eternity thank you enough for your love for us. We just ask that you help us have that same love for others. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' holy and precious and eternal name we pray.